Thank you, ladies, for that special. Beautifully done. I was reminiscing as I was listening to them sing because I heard that song first sung by Brother Roloff. If you've ever heard Brother Roloff sing, you know what I'm talking about. He kind of has a, a style all his own. And uh, once you've heard him sing a song, it just kind of stays with you like that, you know. And uh, I, was, I was hearing his voice as they were singing that song. It's a beautifully... Uh, it's, a, it's a good song, and uh, just thinking about that, my wife said, do you know the words of that song? And I said, yeah, Brother Roloff sings that. And, uh, you know, it's just, just one of those things. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, yeah, the first time I heard Brother Roloff sing, he said, I thought to myself, he can't sing. <laughs> but, you know, he had a way of just singing from his heart. And uh, you start listening to it, it's like the more you listen to him, the more hooked you get, the more you realize, hey, there's something to this. And that's because he really sincerely means what he sings. And uh, I think his album was entitled Singing from the Heart or Songs from the Heart or something like that. And it really was, you can tell. And uh, so just precious memories there and a good song. Thank you so much for doing that this morning. Take your Bibles, if you would. Let's turn to First Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we'll be looking at a familiar text this morning and, and fitting to our, our season. Today is Palm Sunday, and as we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus, and today Palm Sunday represents the, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This was the event where they, they spread the palm leaves and some of them put their clothes down for him to walk on as he entered into the city. Jesus was coming in ushering victory and Many of them in his day, they hoped that it would be victory from the Romans. They, they anticipated that their Messiah would overthrow the Roman government and deliver them from the oppression they were experiencing uh, under Rome at the time. But that wasn't the purpose of that coming of Jesus. His purpose then was the cross to provide real freedom, salvation, the salvation of our souls, a work that is eternal, and thank God that he did that work. He completed his offering on the cross. He said, it's finished. He bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. We know what happens following that. We'll celebrate that next week. Uh, but thinking about that, that coming of the Lord Jesus and the triumphal entry led me to this subject that I want to share with you this morning. First Thessalonians 4, if you found your place, let's stand for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse 13. I'd like to have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin reading in verse 13. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. So let's pray together. Father, how we thank you today for this passage of Scripture. We thank you, Lord, for the, the hope that lies within us. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that you brought to the world when you gave yourself on the cross of Calvary, the only offering God will accept for the forgiveness of man's sins. We thank you, Lord, that we may lay aside all our efforts and simply cling to the cross and the work that you did there, accepting you as our Savior and receiving the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we thank you also for the promise that you gave us, which is what this passage is about, the promise of your coming again. And we look forward to that event with great joy and anticipation. And Lord, we, we pray, Lord, for your coming, and uh, we, we trust, Lord, that you'd work in our hearts and help us to be ready as we read this text and consider these things this morning. Do your work now in, among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Verse 13 says, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He's talking about the dead when he uses that word asleep. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now look at verse 18. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Isn't that beautiful? Comfort one another. So I want to talk to you this morning. I want to share uh, this thought. Are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready for the rapture? Thank you. You may be seated. If you'll go back to verse 17, you'll find this concept of what we call the rapture. Now, there are some people who are a little skeptical of the term because they say, now, pastor, the word rapture is not in the Bible. And I agree with you, it's not. But I'll remind you, the word Bible is not in the Bible. (laughs) But we use it freely, don't we? So don't be afraid of the word rapture. We get the word rapture from verse 17. And I want to show you there what it says. The Bible says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. If you want to mark that phrase in your Bible, that caught up, that catching away, that is the definition of the word rapture. It means to catch away or to catch up. All right, so uh, this idea of rapture occurs in verse 17, that we're going to be taken from this earth and we're going to be united with the Lord and the believers that have gone before us, and we're going to meet them in the air. This catching away of believers from the earth, that is the rapture. That's what we're talking about. So as we understand this passage that Paul's writing about, this is the next coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, now don't confuse this with what we call the second coming of Jesus. In this coming, in the rapture, the Lord Jesus will not come to the earth. The Bible says very plainly there, we were, we're going to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The second coming of Jesus is when he does come down and touch ground on this earth again. When that coming happens, he will set up his kingdom. This is the coming that they were anticipating when he came the first time. I saw it illustrated like this with a drawing. And someone said, the Old Testament prophets stood on a mountainside and and their view was looking across to the other mountainside and they could see the prophecies of the second coming of Jesus and his millennial reign on earth setting up his kingdom. But what they could not see between those events is the valley of the church age and what God was going to do in what we call this New Testament time period. They didn't see all of that. That's why the disciples misunderstood his first coming with his second coming. They thought when Jesus was among them, he was there to set up his kingdom and rule on earth in a literal sense. And that's why they uh, were excited, those we call zealots were excited, and they expected him to overthrow the government at that point. But that was, that's coming, that's the second coming, his first coming. The purpose of that coming was to die on the cross, to provide the payment of sins, to usher us into now this, this church age in, in the valley that we're in uh, now at this point in time. And so we see those two points clearly. As we think about Jesus uh, coming in on what we call Palm Sunday, we we think about his victorious entrance into Jerusalem. It wasn't with force, and it it wasn't to establish a kingdom in a physical sense. But what Jesus did was he paved the way for that to happen later. In a spiritual sense, though, in a very literal sense, he did give us victory and he did establish a kingdom. Because he gave us salvation and the forgiveness of sins. The ability to become a child of God and to become one of his. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world or else my servants would fight. Isn't that what he said when they arrested him? And Pilate was questioning him, are you a king? And he said, you say I am. Think about what's coming. If we think about the second coming, we can, we can address all of those points. But in between the first and the second coming, we have this event known as the rapture. When Jesus comes, but not to the earth, he comes to catch away his own. Why is he going to do that? Well, because he's preparing for that second coming. 
And those who are victorious in Christ, those who are the saved, he's going to catch them away. He's going to be putting together that army of saints that's going to ride in with him on that second coming. Now, we're not going to do any fighting. We're just going to watch. We're going to be the witnesses. Amen. We've been witnesses all this time. We're still going to be witnesses. He's going to do all the ruling and reigning. He's going to do the, the conquering, the fighting. We're just going to ride behind him. It's not that he needs our help. But we're going to be part of that train that comes in behind the Lord. You know, it used to be said of kings, you could tell how powerful their rule was by the length of their train. When they say train, they're talking about those, the line of followers that come in behind them. Think about the train the Lord Jesus is going to come in with. And the multitude of believers down through the ages that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're going to ride in on white horses. Can you imagine that? Anybody here not really a horse person? All right, well, you're going to be. <laughs> you're going to, it's all right. The Lord will get you ready for that. Uh, but it's going to be exciting. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Well, I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. You know, all of this is is. We are anticipating these events. And the next event, and this is really point one, I want you to see, we're talking about the rapture, and I want you to note here, the rapture is the next event on the prophetic calendar. As we line up all the prophetic events, those that have already happened and then those that are going to happen, sandwiched in between there, the next event that could happen at any moment is the rapture. No one knows when this event is going to occur. You can't figure it out mathematically. And we know God's timetable has marched forward and then paused. And then God will resume that timetable when he gets ready to. We don't know when that is. He hasn't given us any formulas on figuring it out. Look what the Bible says with me, if you would. Turn over. Uh, let's look at the chapter ahead, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 2. Paul writes and says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, he's not coming as a thief to us because we're already aware of his coming. He's coming as a thief to those who are unprepared. He's really writing about the world. From the world's perspective, Jesus coming in the rapture is going to occur like a thief in the night. And they're not going to know what happened. We'll talk about all of that uh, later. But we see that this is the next event. And it could come at any time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come as a thief. Now Paul writes later and says, because we know uh, the Lord, it's not going to overtake us as a thief. Let's see, that's, that's verse 4 if you'd look down. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Right? So it's not really such a surprise to us because we already know it's coming. We already know that it's going to occur. We just don't know when. So mark it down to this morning. As sure as Jesus came the first time, he's going to come the second time. And in preparation for that second coming, where he will come in uh, victorious into Jerusalem to set up his kingdom, in preparation for that second coming, the Lord is first going to come in the rapture. He's going to catch away his saints from the world, along with all those from days gone by. And then we're going to come in together. After a short period of time, isn't it, it going to be wonderful to ride in with the Lord? Hey, to this morning we can say, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if your sins are forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb, then this morning you can say, I'm on the winning side, praise the Lord. It's the victory that was pictured, symbolized on that Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, this humble entrance but, but the, the palm leaves were, were put in the way and, and the clothes were strewn out that, that he might have a way to enter, that he might have a, 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 a royal entrance, if you will. His humble servants gathered to acknowledge and welcome him. Hey, one day that entrance will be for real. I want you to see, number two, that the rapture occurs before what is known as the tribulation period the time in which the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of speculation about the Antichrist. 
And who is he? And maybe it's this person or that person. Look, we're not going to know who the Antichrist is until he's revealed. As a matter of fact, I don't know if anybody's going to know who he is unless you're a very discerning uh, biblical student until he reveals himself in the temple. The problem is, the biblical students that I talked to a moment ago, the discerning ones, won't be here when that happens. All right? The rapture occurs before the tribulation period. I want to show you that in Scripture, just so that you can follow along and see where we are. The rapture occurs before the tribulation. That is the next book, 2 Thessalonians. And look with me, if you will, at chapter 2. Now look, there's other people that have different positions on this. We're pre-trib. That means we believe the rapture is going to occur before the tribulation. Now there are mid-tribulationists. There are those that believe the rapture is going to occur in the middle. And then there are post-trib. Those that believe the rapture is going to happen at the end. Go to Matthew 24 and it sounds like it. Well, it can get confusing. But I'm going to show you why I'm pre-trib. I believe the rapture is going to happen first. And I would think all you other folks would hope I'm right. (laughs) I don't want to be here during the tribulation. I don't know about you. Amen. So let's look at what the Bible says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And look with me at verse, this is, a, this is a, a long text, and we'll look at some other verses in a moment. But for this point, look at verse 6 and 7. Paul writes and says, And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. He's talking about the Antichrist being revealed. So he says, And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. Verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. Now, if you want to understand this verse, the word let is Old English here. It means to hinder, to hold back, to hinder. So he who now letteth, or he who now holds back, will hold until he be taken out of the way. Now, who is it that's holding back the tide of the Antichrist that's going to be taken out of the way? Who is that? That's the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit during the New Testament age? You can go to the book of Ephesians. Matter of fact, let's do that. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Turn back to the left there. A few pages. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit, capital S, this is the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible teaches that the believer is indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, until you meet the Lord in heaven. The Holy Spirit is going to be indwelling you. So this event of the rapture makes sense. It fits right there that when the rapture occurs, the catching away of believers from this earth takes place. That means all of the believers, which are the temple of the Holy Spirit, where he indwells them, all those bodies are going to be gone, which means the Holy Spirit is going to be gone. He will be taken out of the way. Now, don't be confused by that. I want you to think for a moment. The Old Testament period was similar to this in that believers were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit would come on people at times for occasions. For example, you've heard the story Samson. But when Samson was about to do some great exploit for God, the Bible would say the Holy Spirit moved him to do this. The Spirit came upon him, all right? It was a temporary thing. That's why David prayed in the Psalms, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He wasn't talking about losing salvation in the sense of we know it today. He was talking about that temporary empowering of the Holy Spirit. David was saying, Don't take that from me. All right? So in the Old Testament, they didn't have that permanent indwelling. But in this New Testament age, we do have that. And when the rapture occurs... That catching away will remove the presence of the Holy Spirit because he's going to be in us. And when we leave, his presence will also leave. 
meaning that he will no longer be here to hold back the tide of the Antichrist, just as it says in Thessalonians. So when he's taken out of the way, in verse 7, then what happens? Then the deluge comes. The mystery of iniquity kicks in. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And his work in the world begins unfolding very rapidly from that point forward. The Bible says in verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed. All right, so we kind of see the picture developing. The rapture occurs before the tribulation period. According to, according to this passage in 2 Thessalonians 2, the Antichrist can't be revealed till the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way, which occurs in the rapture. It makes perfect sense. <clears throat> Next, I want you to see that the Holy Spirit's work in this world, and we, we touched on this already, is, is um, his work in this world is holding back the working of Satan and the mystery of iniquity. Paul doesn't really explain what the mystery of iniquity is. But later in verse 10, he talks about this deceivableness. He talks about delusion that's going to happen in verse 11. And it's going to be so strong that if we were here, it would, it would, it would almost deceive us. So if you take this passage in and you understand that, we know the Holy Spirit's holding that back. And we know that at some point, it's going to come like a flood. And the Bible says the whole world's going to believe a lie. But the Holy Spirit right now, his work is to hold that back. And he's doing it. Now, I don't know if you've noticed. But when you play tug of war, there are moments on each side when there seems to be the gaining of some ground, some slipping of the foothold, right? The sliding into the dirt. And it seems to me in the last decade that maybe the mystery of iniquity is pushing a little bit harder. Maybe we've lost a little ground. Have you, can you see it? I've wondered lately, just, just in the last six years or so, I've wondered, what are people thinking? Have you ever asked yourself that question? And you know, we've seen some weird thinking stuff here lately. We'll talk more about this in a moment. It's not really surprising that we've had some weird stuff going on. I'll tell you what's really surprising is the support it gets. Whoa. What does it all mean? It means that the Holy Spirit is holding that stuff back. But the closer we get, until the day when the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way and it comes like a flood. Think about it. The Holy Spirit working through us is holding that back. Now I want you to think about this. We've already started this topic, but I want you to think about this next point. The description of the world of the end times. The description of the world during the end times is more and more looking like more and more of a reality. It's, it's more and more, our, our world is more and more reminiscent of what the Bible talks about the end of the world is going to look like. You know, the generation that doesn't acknowledge God, that, 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 that curses father and mother, the generation that's against all their family and their relatives and, and all of those kind of weird things the Bible describes about the end times and how the love of many shall wax cold and how iniquity shall abound. I mean, when, when you read that early on in your Christian life, you thought, wow, that's far out there, you know, that's wild. But today when you read those words, it's like, you know, that's, that's here. That's right here, right now, like I see that. Maybe it's not, you know, to the, to the, to the degree it's going to be, but it's already present. 
as it was in the days of Noah? Wow. Let's talk about the days of Noah. Noah was a man who preached righteousness all those years he was building the ark. Hey, listen. Not one convert. Not one. Do you think God wasn't tugging on hearts? Do you think, do you think God wasn't speaking to men? Do you think the word of God was not relevant? Did, did it have no power? Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible says. He was proclaiming truth as he built the ark. The ark was a testament to society that he lived in. It was a witness against them. Their hearts were so hard. They were in such unbelief that not one, not one person repented. It's unthinkable. It's hard to imagine people's hearts being that cold. Until you turn over a few pages and you read about Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah and you say, whoa, there it is again. And now as we consider the end time description of the last days and we look around at our society and we say, whoa, it's beginning to look like that again, isn't it? The description of the world during the end times is becoming more and more of a reality every day. The world has never looked so godless and anti-Christian in my lifetime as it does today. Wow, it makes me do a double take. I'm telling you, I've never felt so strongly that the rapture may occur in our lifetime as I feel it today. Not because of anything in me, but because of what I see happening in the world. I think, wow, hey, today's culture sure looks a lot like what the Bible describes the end times being. Think of the current acceptance of homosexuality and the blatant determination of this generation and this administration to normalize, even popularize it. Oh, it is strikingly reminiscent of the Bible's description of the end time culture. When you study Bible prophecy, you see things happening all over the world. Today in the news, when things happen around the world, America's name is somewhere. We're always connected with the events of the world. But in Bible prophecy, there's no mention of her. Now that's got to be one of two reasons. Either America gets dethroned as a superpower and cannot be involved in those events... Or America is overtaken and no longer exists in the end times. I haven't figured that part out. If you already know, you can share it with me later. But really, it doesn't matter. Either way, it's not good. But what we're seeing right now in our day, the effort to undermine America, to destabilize the dollar and switch to another world currency is already underway. There's an agenda that is in motion that will bring about these things that we're talking about so that we, in our day, are definitely going to fit the description of what the end times looks like. Hold on to your seatbelt. It's about to get interesting. I'm so glad I've read the last chapter. I'm so glad I know uh, the Lord is my Savior. I'm on the winning side this morning. Amen? So think about these events and see what what the Lord has. I want to show you a couple other verses. We read 2 Thessalonians 6 and 7. Let's just back up and get some context. Look at verse 3 if you would. Paul said, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. A lot of people have speculated about what that is, and and I'm not going to try to be definitive. I I just want to say that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds like it's happening. The man of sin be revealed. We talked about the Antichrist already. The son of perdition, that's who he's talking about. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called of God or that is worshipped, so that 
he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I don't know if you saw it. There's an interesting, I haven't seen the whole thing, but there's an interesting, um, what do you call it, a monologue that Tucker Carlson recently did. He did this uh, speech referring to the recent shooting in Tennessee with the transgender person, the transgender shooter. Okay, And he begins to describe the conflict between the transgender agenda and Christianity. And, and look, I don't know that he's a professing Christian, but, but he sees the conflict of interest there. He even said, there's no reconciling of these two ideologies. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They, they, cannot, they cannot meet. They cannot agree. But it's interesting to me the way he described their agenda. As, as being themselves in the place of God and able to control even nature. To change their own gender. It's interesting that, that even Tucker Carlson noted that Christians believe only God has the power to do those type things. But they believe they have the power to do it. Interesting, isn't it? It kind of sounds like what we're reading right now. Christians are supposed to be humble. We're supposed to acknowledge that we're sinners and we're, we're, we're incapable of certain things. We're supposed to understand that only God has the power to do certain things. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is omniscient. And so we have a hard time when someone puts themselves in the place of God in any of these areas. And especially when they expect to be worshipped. Which they haven't used that word. But the transgender movement really does expect something very similar to what we would call worship. Wow. Now let's continue. Interesting verses. We're talking about how they line up with reality today so well. In verse 5, he says, Remember not, ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Hey, that's a Bible class I would have liked to sit in on. When Paul was teaching the chronology of events and the timeline and giving the descriptions and the details of what was going to happen. He said in verse 6, And now you know that withholdeth or what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time, talking about he, the Antichrist, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he, talking about the Holy Spirit, who now letteth will let until he, the Holy Spirit, be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. This is talking about the second coming when we ride in on horses with him. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Paul saying in verse 10, there are some who are going to be present that day. They had a chance to be saved. They had a chance to accept forgiveness, to, to, to receive the grace of God and be covered in the blood of Jesus, but they rejected it. Notice what he says. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What does all this mean? Well, it means those who rejected God's offer of salvation before the rapture will not be saved after the rapture. That's what it means. I want you to look at these verses again. He says in verse 10, talking about those who could have been saved before, they believed not, and so they were not saved after the rapture. Look what's going to happen. Verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not. Now look, I, I use the word rejected. But God 
said, because they received not. Now, what does that look like in, in, in practical terms? It means they just didn't. It doesn't mean they cursed God. It doesn't mean they said, no, I'll never get saved. It doesn't mean that. It just means they didn't do it. They received not. They could have, but they didn't. They hesitated. We might call it, they, they procrastinated. We might say they delayed, they put it off. You can describe it however you want. But Paul said those who received not the truth. These are the ones he's talking about. That they might be saved. Because they received not. Verse 11. For this cause. Because they received not. For this cause. God shall send them strong. What? Delusion. Ladies and gentlemen. I submit to you this morning. The delusion has begun. If you don't believe me, watch the news. Go listen to the Tucker Carlson presentation. When the world can say, because a transgender person reacted to a Tennessee law that was signed into place by going into a Christian school and shooting children, when the world can say it was the Christian's fault, if you don't call that delusion, I don't know what is. It's the Christian's fault. Because we angered them so. How did we do that? Just by not agreeing with what they believe about who they are and what they can do. We, we can't agree with their position. We can't recognize their, their misappropriation of gender because we recognize God as the creator and the orderer of all things. And we believe that man does not have the ability nor the, the right to change those matters. God assigned that. So we can't agree with their position. That enrages them and infuriates them. To the point, I'm shocked. To the point, hey, look, it's bad for everybody else to have a gun. But they are being encouraged to go buy guns. To defend themselves, of course. The right that we all want to cherish, given to us by our Second Amendment, given us by God first, and acknowledged in our Second Amendment. But even our government is trying to say the Second Amendment is not for you as citizens. Oh, oh but, but, but it's for them. <laughs> You don't, you don't see the delusion in this, in this thinking? Crazy. Crazy that the world would take the cause of a murderer against innocent children? For the life of me, I can't understand that. But this is the stuff that's being presented to the world. There's a case being made I'm telling you, that is delusional. I'm not as surprised at those who are delusional in following this agenda. I'm surprised at those who claim to be normal supporting it. God help us. Hey, we're on some bad ground in our country. We're on some dangerous waters. The delusion has begun. I don't know about you, but I sat around during the COVID epidemic and, and, and I saw this, this willingness to drink the Kool-Aid, if you will, if I could borrow that expression, to, to follow the Pied Piper, uh, just to pick up the tune and go without, without even considering the consequences. And from that now to this, it is, I would say it's getting stronger. I don't know about you, but I, I see it. I, I feel it. I, I'm thinking, whoa, how could this happen? It happens because the Bible says the mystery of iniquity will work in such a way that delusion will come. And those who even knew enough to believe on the Lord and be saved, but didn't, they will believe a lie. 
And the Bible says they will be damned. Condemned is the word we would use. Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, the point is those who had a chance to receive Christ and to be saved before the rapture occurs, if they didn't, they believed not after the rapture, they will not be able to be saved. They will not even want to. They will believe the lie. The delusion will overcome them. And they will be condemned. How sad. And that leads us to the last point. And the last thought we have after considering all of this is this. If the rapture happened today, are you ready? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you believed the truth of God? Have you understood that the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Do you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? The Bible says that Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice to take away all our sins. And if we would humble ourselves and acknowledge ourselves before him, if we would admit our guilt and say, Lord, I I need a Savior, and accept Jesus Christ as, as God in the flesh who came to save us, the only offering for sin that God the Father will accept If we'll turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive him as our Savior, the Bible says we shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from self. Saved from condemnation in a future place called hell. Somebody said salvation is powerful because first, it saved me from The penalty of sin. Once you receive Christ as your Savior, you're no longer condemned. Everybody knows John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. But read on down, John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Sin is a curse. Sin brings condemnation. You're already guilty. You're already condemned. The only way out is to receive Christ. When you receive him, the condemnation is lifted. The Bible tells us that's why he came the first time. That's the freedom he gives, the liberty in Christ. is the freedom from sin, the penalty of sin. As we grow in Christ and we learn to live the victorious Christian life because Christ set us free, now that we're serving the Lord, we can reckon ourselves, Romans chapter 6, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but, but alive unto God. We can live as to the Lord and not, not to the world, and we can be freed from the, from the power of sin. Isn't that right? Christ freed us from the power of sin. We can say no. The Bible says we've been strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. It's not my power, it's his power. We can say no. And praise God one day when this old life is over and we're standing in heaven with him, we're going to be freed from the presence of sin. There'll be no sin in heaven. You know, sin brings condemnation. Sin brought the curse. Sin brings consequences. All that's negative. All that's evil. All that's bad. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be surrounded with any of that anymore it's all going to be good very good so the question is if the rapture happened today are you ready are you saved have you received Christ as your savior or have you been saying "Uh, one day I'm going to do that one day one day preacher I'm going to get right with God Hey, one day I'm going to get in church one day I'm going to live for the Lord. One day I'm going to raise my family, right? One day. I don't know how many people I've seen one day themselves right to death. They just never did. The Bible says 
because they received not the love of the truth. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. They should believe a lie. Here's the real question. Will you receive Christ today? You have an opportunity right now to believe on him. If you know you're a sinner and you understand Christ died for you to pay for your sins, you have an opportunity today to accept him as your savior, to apply that payment to your account in heaven so that God can forgive you. God's a holy God. He doesn't just blink his eyes and act like he didn't see that. In order for God to forgive you, there had to be a payment made somewhere, and Jesus made it on the cross. Because of what he did, God can apply that to your account of sin and forgive you. The only way that can happen is if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have to believe on him. Will you do it today? It may be your last chance. Are you ready for the rapture? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, how we love you today and how we rejoice thinking about the assurity of your promises. Lord, we acknowledge today that as sure as you came the first time, you are going to come the second time. And just before that coming, you will appear in the clouds to receive your own unto yourself. We call this event the rapture, where we will be caught up to meet you in the clouds. Lord, we look forward to that day, those of us who know you as Savior, but we pray today for those who know they need to be saved but have not yet submitted themselves to Christ. Lord, we ask you, before they receive strong delusion, we ask you today, Lord, would you send them strong conviction that they might be urged to receive Christ before it's everlasting too late. Lord, may they be saved today. We ask you to work in our midst, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you know Christ is your Savior, you can rejoice this morning. But if you don't, I'm submitting today is the day of salvation. That is the Bible message. And if you're here today without Christ, this is your time. We call this the invitation. We're inviting you to come to Christ this morning. Would you let us take a Bible and show you how you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins? Would you come? If you're here today and you're not saved, I invite you to come right now. Say, Pastor, I want to receive Christ. We'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how to do it. We'll help you. You're, you're among friends. This is the place to respond, to give in and say yes to God. If you're not saved this morning, I invite you to come and to be saved. Jesus is calling. He's tenderly calling. How about it this morning? Hey, if you're here and you're a believer, I want to ask you, is there somebody that you care about and you know they're not saved would you come this morning to an old fashioned altar would you make a place to meet God and call their name out in prayer would you do what I did a moment ago would you ask God to convict them before it's too late would you pray for their salvation just slip out where you are and come and lovingly call out their name Oh, listen, how can we let people go to hell with no hurdles in their way, with no invitations, with no, with no, with no distress? Oh, listen, if anybody goes to hell, they ought to go with us pulling, kicking, and screaming behind them, trying to keep them from their destination. They ought to have to leap over us to get there. They ought to have to battle our prayers and our witnessing and our urging. Hey, don't let anybody have a smooth path to hell. Put up signs, call out their name, pray for them, whatever it takes. Because one day, one day it's going to be too late. There's no soul winning in heaven. There's no salvation altar calls in heaven. 
All that's done. Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Are you ready for the rapture? Christian, one last thing I want you to consider. In order to be ready for the rapture, you need to think about more than your salvation. Is there a work that God wants you to do on this earth before you meet Him in heaven? If you haven't done that, especially if you already know what it is, I submit that you're not ready. It's time to get busy. The world cannot wait. The delusion has already begun. How about it today, friend? Is God calling you? Is God speaking to you? Is there something God wants you to do? It might be an isolated task or it might be a lifelong calling. I I don't know. But if God is calling you, if God is speaking to you about doing something specific, I want to challenge you today to say yes to the Lord and jump in it with both feet because time is running out. I would never be so foolish as to put a date on any of these events. The Bible clearly says we don't know the date or the hour. I don't know that we could pinpoint the month or the year either. Why try when God already told us we don't know? And since we don't know, let's redeem the time that we have Let's use it for the Lord. Let's get busy now. If God is calling you, say yes quickly. Don't hesitate. Oh, you'll be glad you did when you stand before Him. Are you ready for the rapture?